Let's bow our heads. Father, as we open your word, give us ears to hear what the Spirit has said to the church. Help me to teach it rightly and well. And as always, give the hearers discernment to weigh everything and to hold on to what is good. Lead us and guide us into your truth and guard us from error. And Father, may your Holy Spirit have free reign in each person here today and and among us as a whole, as a church, uh, to work what is pleasing in your sight through the teaching and and, um, hearing and obeying of your word, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a good many years ago now, we hammered out among ourselves what we wanted our church to be about. Uh, we wanted to be intentional. We wanted to be specific about what we were trying to accomplish as a church. And uh, why does this church, this particular church, exist? You know, what, what justifies our continuing existence? So we developed a purpose statement. We eventually incorporated into our, it, the purpose statement into our church constitution and perhaps uh, more significantly, since the church constitution is hardly ever gets consulted, hardly ever gets read, it's archived back there somewhere. You know, we, we have it, but it but it hard, hardly ever comes up, or someone consults it or reads it. We print it every week in the church bulletins, and the purpose statement is right on the back of the bulletin. If you picked up a bulletin today, it says that the purpose of Faith Bible Fellowship is to glorify God by developing disciples of Jesus Christ from spiritual birth to lifelong spiritual maturity. Can you guess where we would get such an idea as that? That our purpose of our church is to glorify God by developing disciples of Jesus Christ from spiritual birth to lifelong spiritual maturity. Well, we got it from the Great Commission. Uh, The last thing the boss told us, I don't mean any disrespect or irreverence there, but the last thing the boss of the church told us before he ascended into heaven, just making a point, is this, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now the grammar of the statement in the original language makes it clear. The English translations don't really make this clear. I don't know any that really make it super clear that the main verb there in in that command of the Lord to the church is to make disciples. And all the other verbs in that statement are, are means of doing that. Uh, in other words, we're not told to do... The Great Commission does not tell us to do four things. Go, um, you know, make disciples, baptize, teach. It tells us to do one thing, Make disciples by going or at, you might say as you go or while you go or by going, by baptizing, by teaching. It's make, we're to do one thing, it's make disciples. 
You know, by going, by baptizing, by teaching. And we, we used to use uh, in the church and some publications things the, the language of purpose and product. You know, that's our purpose. And so what's our, our product? I'm kind of glad that we've dropped the product word. You know, we don't talk like that. It sounds, it sounds so mechanical, so impersonal, you know, like you're a, you're a product. But it, that, that's what it is in a way. Our intended product, what we want to produce here, are disciples of Jesus Christ. We want your involvement in Faith Bible Fellowship to result in you becoming a, a developing or maturing disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, woodenly, so what's a disciple? Woodenly understood, the, the Greek word for disciple means he who learns. But it would be a mistake uh, to think of a disciple mere, in merely kind of academic or intellectual terms. Because really what a disciple is, is not merely one who learns about something or learns about someone. It's not just being a student and learning a lot of facts about Jesus Christ, learning a lot about him. It, it, a, a disciple is someone who learns all right, but he learns to follow. He learns to be a follower. A disciple of Jesus Christ is not just one who learns about Christ or from Christ, but learns to follow Christ. It was at Antioch that the followers of Jesus began to be called Christians. You may remember from Acts, which really means little Christs. Little Christ. So they didn't just learn about a lot of facts about Jesus or learn about his life or learn his biography and learn his sayings and things like that. They sought at least with some observable success, right? At least with some success, people began to call them Christians, little Christs. So they were, at least in some way, with some observable success, beginning to um, look like Jesus in the way they act, the way they behave, the way they talked, to follow his example, to think like him, to do the sorts of things that Jesus did, to love like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus, to be a friend of tax gatherers and sinners like Jesus, to pray like Jesus, to, to be like Jesus. So a disciple is a follower of Jesus, and we want our church to develop followers of Jesus. Now, now there are two words in that statement, it's on the back of the bulletin there, that emphasize, and this is another reason I'm glad we kind of dropped that product word, that emphasize uh, the idea of process over product. Uh, one is the word develop, which implies it can't be done in a day. Uh, it implies some time. Jesus didn't say in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, he didn't just say, make converts. Make converts of all nations. Because that can be... It, it really, you can think of that, it can be done in a day. It can happen in a moment. It, 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 it can happen over the course of a sermon, say. It, it can happen in response to an appeal. Uh, conversion is, is the beginning of something. 
It's a crucial beginning. It's a necessary beginning. But it's just a beginning. You know, one of the problems that the church of our generation, uh, probably the kind of churches that you and, you and I have gone to before this one, the, you know, the churches we've observed, know about, places, the churches that we would go to and become involved in, uh, one of the problems the church of our generation has had has been that we have emphasized the initial work of salvation to such an extent we put so much weight on that that ha- that moment of conversion that 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 necessity of conversion that many people think that as long as they have had that golden magic moment sometime in their past personal history that's all that matters and they are quite literally good to go <laughs> so so you 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 hear people say something like, oh, don't waste your time witnessing me. I, I did all that when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I know all that. Yeah, I did the whole thing. Went forward, got baptized when I was 11. Or, you know, I got saved. Oh, yeah, I got saved at a youth rally and every, with every head bowed and every eye closed. The, the guy said to raise your hand if you wanted to ask Jesus in your heart. And I raised my hand. There was people say, let me raise my hand. I thought, yes, absolutely. So it's, it's, we're good, we're good. Well, how, you could ask, a lot of times you don't ask, but I, I do sometimes, being a pastor, people expect it of me, you know, they expect me to be pressing a little bit more. So I can get away with it, maybe some more than, uh, more than people who aren't pastors, but I say, well, how is being a disciple of Jesus Christ manifest itself in your life since, do you, do you go to church? Well, not really. You know, I, I was trying to, one time I was uh, talking to a couple that just came in off the street. They wanted me to uh, conduct their mar- their wedding ceremony. And, and uh, you know, I don't do that just for anybody. I just want, and I, we don't have, they don't have to be a member of the church or anything, member of this church, but I want the words that are said at the ceremony to be the truth uh, that of what they believe, you know, that Christ is, that the marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, and they're going to model their marriage, at least seek to model their marriage after, after the biblical model and biblical teaching and so forth. So I ask, you know, are they, I, I try to discern if they're, if they're believers. And, uh, and one fellow said to me one time, he said, I said, well, you know, what do you, you know, how do you read the Bible? You pray, you go to church, you have a church. And he said, well, I don't go as much as I should. I said, well, when's the last time you went? Well, that's quite a while. Well, how long? Well, about 15 years. <laughs> and, and so it, it, it helped me. <laughs> Are you part of a worshiping, serving community of fellow believers? What do you pray? Do you pray regularly? Do you do you pray ever? Is that part of your life? Do you do you read and study the Bible? Do you do you have a deeply we talked about this some last week. Do you have a deeply conflicted relationship with the sin in your life? It, that's the lot of every Christian. Are you at war with sin in your life or are you basically at peace with it? That's just the way I am. 
Do you tell other people how they can be saved from sin and death? Are, are you heartbroken over those you know and love who don't know Christ? Or do you just not think about that? Do you just don't bother yourself about that? In, in other words, how could you tell that you're a Christian, or you're, you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, if you... If you were accused of being, and this has been said a lot of times, but if you were accused of being a Christian, which these days is less and less far-fetched, right? If you're accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or could you get off? Jesus said you tell the tree by its fruit, the nature of the tree by its fruit in the presence, not by investigating the ancient personal past. So we invite you, or anybody who picks up a bulletin and reads it, we invite you in our purpose statement to ask yourself not this question. Did I at some time in the past make some sort of overture or gesture or commitment to Christ and faith in Him? It doesn't, that, that, disciple, that purpose statement doesn't ask you to ask that question. It asks you to ask this, am I currently developing as a follower of Christ over the course of months and years? Over the course of time? Am I experiencing the Spirit's work of sanctification in my life? I look over the months, over the years, over the decade, the last decade. Am I becoming... Do I see anything of becoming more like Christ in my character, less under the domination of sin? Uh, can I say that I'm being stretched in my faith? A different question. But another question that's just, uh, it's just part and parcel of, of being a developing disciple. Uh, can I say that I'm being stretched in my faith? Is, in other words, that you think of this way. Is the Holy Spirit prodding me to take a step of faith that's out of my comfort zone. It's very, if you are, it's very indicative of an ongoing relationship with God. Because <laughs> it's how he rolls, right? He, he makes, he prods us and presses us and challenges us to, to take steps of faith and belief and trust that are new for us a am I growing in Christ am I learning to trust him more am I learning to depend on him more do I do I love him more deeply than I did five years ago ten years ago uh, those are very different questions than was there a time in my past when I accepted Christ into my life? Which, by the way, is a perfectly good question to ask. I'm not saying that's not an important question. It's, it's terrifically important. And, it's, and it's, it's important if we're talking about making converts. Which also, you got to make a convert before you make a disciple. <laughs> But Jesus told us to go in his instructions to us. He told us to go beyond making converts to making disciples. 
And develop is that is one of the words in there that that helps us to think of it as something. No, it's not just having a hearing a sermon or a message or reading a book or having a, hearing an appeal and then and then having a crisis decision and give our life to Christ and then and then we're done. Mission accomplished. It's it, it, we we that word helps us think of it as something that's going to be ongoing throughout our lives. And the other word in the statement that emphasizes that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is more process than finished product is the word lifelong. Lifelong disciple uh, of Christ. As I, as I recall, and that one was added later, and I, as I recall, I was the main lobbyist for that term, and I, I hope that it's in there now, that you've got it in there. I hope that's more... That wisdom won the day, and not just the church started, and my wife's and I's in our home, and and so I get my way. <laughs> because what I wanted to avoid there was any notion that once spiritual maturity is reached, then it's mission accomplished, and we've got nothing for you. You know, we do not have graduation ceremonies. Where you've taken all the courses, you've listened to all the teaching, you've arrived, you've completed them all in good, you know, good standing, and off you go. You know, our, our graduation ceremony in terms of the church's mission and work uh, in the lives of believers, we, we sort of do have it. It's, it's a funeral. It's a funeral. It's like, well, you'll never hear me say this, but here's kind of the idea. Here they are, Lord. We did all we could. <laughs> They're yours. And we know from your word that you've already done what we couldn't and they couldn't. <laughs> Absent from the body, they're present with the Lord. They're no longer, you know, the sin no longer has a purchase on them. The, the sin that still had leverage in the flesh, the flesh, they've been removed from the flesh. You know, not that we denigrate the flesh. Resurrection involves the flesh, of course. But they're no longer under the domain of sin. We don't have purg- they don't have to go someplace like purgatory to burn off what's left. They're, they're done with sin. And so, but until that, it can't be said. It can't be said of any of the mourners at the funeral... No matter how well advanced, we might look at them. There's pillars in the church. They're whole, wow, that's a holy, mature person. They are, you know, they're right there. But they're not free from that struggle with sin. So, as long as the disciple of Jesus Christ lives in these bodies of fallen flesh, discipleship is an ongoing process for everybody. Lifelong discipleship, lifelong disciple of Christ. That struggle against sin, I, I hate to give you the bad news, but it lasts all our lives. The striving for holiness lasts all our lives. The transformation toward greater and greater degrees of Christ likeness is a permanent feature of living as a Christian in the present age. 
You know, you know, we do a lot of things with older people. We see people at NHC and uh, we teach a Bible study, Greenfield Senior Living. And, uh, and I've told you this before. I'll just make brief reference to it because it fits here. A lot, of time, a lot of the people at Greenfield wonder sometimes, what's this time of life for? Why didn't the Lord just take me? You know, I can't do anything. I can't give money anymore. I can't volunteer at church anymore. I mean, what do I do? And some of them say, I can't even think anymore, really. I can't even think clearly. I can't, you know, what am I doing? I can't, I'm just existing. What's this time of life for? And I've told them that maybe it's not about what you can do for others. It's not like what you, when you were in your 40s and your 50s or 60s, you know, that where you could, you could impact others and help people at church and be a part of the, the life of the church in a much more significant way than you feel right now. But maybe this time is about you. And you are learning lessons of faith that a healthy 50-year-old can't even wrap his arms around. You're learning, can I trust the Lord? Can I be content when I lose my eyesight? When I lose my hearing? When I can't even get around? When I can't need someone to push me in a chair to get around? Can I, can I lay all that down and be content in God's watch care over me? Can, can I be content in His sovereign care? That's a different level of faith lesson than can I can I trust God to make the bills even if I put a check in the in the box? Can I give money and trust that the Lord will take care of our needs? That's a different level of uh, that's a different level of faith step to to say like Jesus into Thy hands I commit my spirit. And ultimately, I say to them, can I close my eyes in death and be at peace that God will care for me? That Jesus is good for his word, that he'll come and receive us to himself. It lasts till our last breath, this sanctification, this faith building. This transformation. So how can we tell, well, more important, not how we can tell, how you can tell whether you yourself are that maturing disciple that we are trying to develop. And so we have, a, after that purpose statement in the bulletin, you can see it there, right there, we, we uh, what we're, is some a description, you know, a fourfold description of what we uh, say you can look for to kind of weigh yourself, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. You know, how do you how do you how do you tell that? And what we are after is a definition of a developing or maturing disciple that would fit any stage of the Christian life. Uh, we wanted some indicators that would work for the brand new Christian. Or the young person who's being raised as a Christian. Or a person who's decades into the Christian life. Or even one that would work 
for the Christian that others look up to as a pillar in the church. And we found those basic indicators in the early church described in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Did we get the scriptures on the, on the screen, Acts 2? They may be there, may not. But I'll read them to you. Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now that's Acts chapter 2. That is basic church, isn't it? I mean, that is uh, ancient, primitive, first beginning church. No buildings, no budgets. No programs, no staff, really, no church bulletins. Just church boiled down to a low gravy, what it basically is, and we saw four essentials there. Worship, the worship of God. Instruction in the apostolic teaching. The fellowship of the saints. And evangelism, sharing the good news and inviting and bringing others into the ranks of Jesus' disciples. And those are four essential marks of discipleship that make up our definition of a growing, maturing disciple. Is to remind us, and the reason it's in there every week, is to remind us, the church's leadership, what we think we're doing here. And it's also for you to ask yourself... Is it working for me? Is it happening? Worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism. And I, and I want to unpack each one of those for you, but, but you'll be relieved, perhaps, to know I don't expect to get through them all for today. Just the first one, which leaves me a nice three-point sermon for next week. <laughs> Already done. But first... We define a maturing disciple as one who is worshiping God both privately and with other believers. Jesus told the woman at the well, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Part of being a worshiping disciple, and I'll take them in opposite order than the way they're listed. Part of being a worship disciple is worshiping with other believers. Uh, corporate worship. What we do here on Sunday mornings. It's what we hope happens here on Sunday mornings. And, and really, to be honest, the whole thing, we call the whole thing a worship service, but the, really the most interactive part, the most part when you're really engaged and not just listening or watching somebody else do something, is, is between 10.45 and 11.15 or so. That's something more. What that says is worshiping with other believers. That is something more than just going to church. 
If you tell me you went to church, I, really, I just know where you were. You haven't quite told me that you worshiped God while you were at church. And I, I know that, that most do. But I also realize that it, that it just so happens that some don't. I've even known cases over the years of some who didn't mind missing the first bit of our worship service to purposely arrange their arrival time to be a little light because they don't like the first part. Or they don't like the music or they don't like singing. But, but the bottom line for me is, what's that got to do with it? Really, what does that have to do with it? Ultimately, what does that matter if the central purpose of coming to church is to worship God and not to be personally, well, I don't want to be mean, but entertained? It isn't like Pandora or AccuRadio where we get unlimited skips for the tunes we don't like. And someone said, well, I know, that's why I don't like it. I want to say, skip, skip, skip. And what some people miss is that worship is for God, not for me. It's about His worth, His majesty, His awesomeness, His power, His authority, His perfections in every way. Now, I'm like you. I like some songs, worship songs, hymns, better than others. In fact, I'll let you in on a secret. There's some I don't hardly like at all. (laughs) There are some that simply do not make my playlist when I listen to worship music privately. I'm not going to tell you which they are. And I'm not not going to tell you which kind they are. Because I've cut a deal with our dear friend and faithful servant Paul Hopping over there. I'm sorry I didn't. I meant to give you a heads up. I was going to mention you beforehand, but I didn't. I'll seek forgiveness rather than permission today. But I bring it up because he's the main person to blame if you don't like something, if you don't like one of the songs. <laughs> but I've, I've cut a deal with him. I've said if the hymn or the song is, uh, is orthodox, if it, if it contains biblical teaching, and it's honoring to the Lord. And if I'm sitting there and I hear the voices coming in over my shoulders, and, the, and it's robust, and it seems heartfelt, and it it's, it's, sounds like the people are worshiping, I don't have to like it. Victory for me, a win for me, touchdown for me, is the worship of God by God's people. Not the servicing of my personal 
preferences in worship music, which I fully embrace with the playlist on my computer. <laughs> Some say, I don't, I don't sing. I've got a terrible voice, or, and I don't want to inflict it on others. Well, okay, okay, before our, our own master we stand or fall, I'm not the judge, I'm not the judge. But I, I think the Bible has addressed that very thing when it commands us to just make a joyful noise. And I think I've noticed something else, and I'm not speaking of anything, any speci- anything specific, but, I, but, you know, we've been here 27 years or so, you know, doing this. And over the years, I believe I've noticed something else that sometimes sometimes in some cases the issue is not simply self-consciousness and polite consideration of others but a holding back that's born of a of you know some level of personal pride and pride and worship do not mesh do they they don't mesh at all pride and worship they're like opposites there's a there's a vulnerability and humility in, in true and sincere worship that some people find hard like, like King David King David gave it up he's dancing before the Lord but his wife who had more pride of position than he did said you make a fool of yourself and if that's if that's you, you know, like there's something in there of what will others think of me or, or how will they see me? And it kind of stifles expression in, in worship. If that's the case, then I'll say this. That's one of the cutting edges of, uh, of your development as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, so please don't imagine that when we say that a growing disciple is one who worships with other believers, don't just take that as shorthand for going to church. We want you to come to church. If you're going to be a disciple, you need to be in church. We're really after much more than that. We have greater designs on you than that. The Father is looking for worshipers, not just pew warmers. And and we also speak of worshiping God privately, which we're thinking of private times between you and the Lord. You know, a growing disciple is one who, developing disciple is one who worships the Lord privately with other believers. I want you to see that we don't quantify it. We don't say daily, for example. Although experience tells us that you know that daily worship of the Lord is a tremendous boon to growing as a disciple. But we don't say daily. I, I've confessed before, but for good or for ill, that practically everything I do on Sundays and my own walk with Christ is corporate in nature. Practically everything. 
And I'm not saying I don't pray in the car privately on the way to church about something I'm thinking about or some concern I might have for the day. I'm not saying I don't. I did this morning, in fact. You know, but but I don't like. It's not like oh, I'm driving to church. It's time for me to have my private time because I got to get some private time in. And I'm not saying I don't do it on the way home afterwards. I do that too. But on Sundays. I don't sit down in my regular chair and read a passage from the Bible and respond back to God in writing as is my practice, just works for me or verbally, and grab the week's prayer list and pray over all of the prayer lists or some of the things on the prayer list. That, that's the most common way I have my own private time of worship, but I can't do that on Sundays. I'm thinking about a passage I'm going to be preaching or a teaching in Sunday school. It would drive me nuts to sit down and just read something kind of randomly or just when the schedule out of the... I can't. I don't have time to think about this. i got to think about Matthew 28. i got to think about Acts 2. It's, a, it's about the corporate aspects, and I'm not legalistic about it, I, and I don't advocate a legalistic attitude about it, like, oh, no, I've been at church all day long. Doing Sunday school, church, getting ready for youth group, doing youth group when we, when we did that. I've got to do, I've got to get my daily devotion in there somewhere. You know, what? if I made myself do that, you know what I'd be thinking? I thought his yoke was easy. <laughs> his load was light. Luke 5, Luke 5 uh, New American Standard Translation says, verse 16, Verse 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Jesus, he wasn't just going to synagogue, going to temple. Private. So we put that statement in there so that you'll be able to ask yourself, is that me? Whether you've been long in the faith or whether you're just getting started or maybe you're just getting started back again. Is that happening for me? Are you carving out a few minutes in the morning or 5 or 15 or 20 or an hour and we haven't quantified that on purpose? To spend in the Lord's presence or in the evening or at lunch times or whatever. And we haven't quantified that because it could be that in your development as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that purposefully spending five minutes before the Lord, just you and Him, on a daily or near daily, regular practice, would be a huge step, a huge step forward in your developing as a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, you can see that, can't you? That person who says, I'm going to spend three minutes, three to five minutes, you know, before I get out of the car and go into work, I'm going to spend three to five minutes, and I'm going to read a passage, and I'm going to pray, I'm going to respond back to God. And if they did that in work days, if they did that Monday through Friday for two weeks, that would be a huge thing. But no matter your current practice is spending time before the Lord privately a regular part of your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
So we think, as a church here, that the worship of God, both corporate when we're together and private when you're by yourself, is one of the central ways you can tell if you're a developing or maturing disciple of Jesus Christ or not. You see, we have designs on you. We have plans for you. We want you to become a worshiper of God. And we want you to become a worshiper of God because that's one of the central features of becoming a disciple of Jesus. And so whatever you are trying to get out of your involvement at this church, which we don't know what that is, we can't control that, what we want you to get out of it is being a developing, growing disciple of Christ. And then, and then just, the, just for the one point that we've emphasized today, one of the ways you can tell that is are you becoming a worshiper, or are you a worshiper of God? When you're here with other believers, and does it happen? Does it happen for you individually, privately? There's more to it than that, of course. There's these three other things we haven't discussed. Well, how's this for a conclusion? But that's enough for today. <laughs> uh, Father, we simply pray today that our church would be successful in what we think we are doing. Let us make disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of the Lord Jesus, the head of the church. And may the work be successful in each and every person that has some level of involvement with this church. May each person, from the pastor to the young child, from the one who's new in the faith to the one who's spiritually mature, may we continue to grow, deepen our sense and practice of worship both corporately and privately. Help each one to see the specific place in our lives where further growth would be a good thing and how the thing lacking may, may be holding us back from developing a disciple as we should and as we must. Work in us, in other words, that which is pleasing in your sight. Increase the faith of every believing person here today and let the beginnings of faith spring up in any who remain outside of Christ up to now. That they might be saved for their eternal blessing, for our everlasting joy, and for your glory both now and forever. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.